Welcome to Tales from the Rec Room, where frogs have no belly buttons. I'm your host, humanoid reptile Bree Rohde, and who is with me on the line today? Uh, hi there, this is Ted Raymond. Uh, we're recording with Bree in the present for you in the future to listen to from the past. Holy shit! Anyway, uh, beat me up and get 15 silver points. Not before I race you in drinking as much soda as we possibly can. I never was able to do that one. Um, I was. I was a champion button masher as a child. Uh, guess what? We're talking video games today. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the new show, Ted. Hello. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so Ted, you are a digital journalist based in Ottawa, but I also like to think of you as the Peak Show or Peak Show Universe nerd culture expert. Uh, So you're here to talk about um, one of the biggest wow, you're an actual nerd video games. And this is the first time in this podcast universe that I do get to talk about a video game. Uh, This is one that when you say you're a fan, people are like, oh, okay, so you lost your virginity in your mid-20s. I'm talking about Chrono Trigger. And yes, it's uh, it's a very exciting time. I've been I've been very excited for this record since we uh, arranged uh, a, a meeting to do it. I had I had I was listening to the soundtrack on the bus, like mm-hmm. <laughs> to and from work uh, yeah, this yeah. week while I was waiting to do this show. What a great soundtrack to listen to! Oh, so now. Good. Now, we do normally uh, on Tales from the Rec Room keep to our peak show tradition of uh, plugs up front. However, Ted, you have done, I think, one of the most productive human things possible. And you have kind of, at least intermittently, largely gotten off Twitter. Oh, no, and that's, I gotta no, no say, I'm back. I'm back. Just, you're yeah. glutton for punishment, Ted. Well, do you, want, do you want the listeners of Tales from the Rec Room to follow you? I guess is the question. <laughs> do not perceive me. Uh, uh-huh. No, no, it's I'm on Twitter for now, at least uh, while it still exists, or I, you know, decide to keep going. Uh, it's a Ted friendly guy, and that's how you can find me there. And then you can also just Google Ted Raymond Ottawa if you want to see the work that I do. Fantastic. And you do great work. I also personally love being in your inner circle of Instagram followers where you serve only the best parody news content. It's the best. It is. Um, But yes, I'm so I like you. I'm very excited. I've always wanted to talk about Chrono Trigger, um, mainly because I want everyone to know that I had no friends in high school. Um, (laughs) But even so, even though Chrono Trigger was technically part of a series, it it is essentially a one off game. Um, And also, as much as I love this game, I've never self identified as a gamer in any way. Like I've always thought like, the games I like are extremely mainstream. I love Zelda. I love Grand Theft Auto. There's no rhyme or reason to the games I love, you know. Yeah, that's the way it can. Uh, that's the way it can go. And I mean, I'm you know, listen. Like, you know, I do fairly mainstream kind of game stuff these days too. Uh, you know, I'm playing the new Zelda right now, Tears of the Kingdom, and uh, I play Final Fantasy and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, back in the the uh, the NES and SNES days, it was a it was a different scene, right? You know, it was it was it, it, it wasn't as mainstream as it is now. Mm-hmm. So uh, the new rule with Tales from the Rec Room is that at least one of the hosts had to have seen, played, or listened to this uh, topic for the first time via physical media. Now. Video games, I guess the implication is physical media, except that, of course, there were exceptions even in the 2000s. You might have played this on an emulator. Uh, but so, Ted, uh, was this uh, was this the case with you? Or, like, I guess I would love to know kind of your journey with when you got into Chrono Trigger, when you were first introduced to it. Well, I have the cartridge with me right now. Awesome. 
And I have the official Nintendo Player's Guide as well, still. It's uh, so well-loved that it's missing pages. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, my introduction to Chrono Trigger, I used to have a subscription to Nintendo Power Magazine when I was little. And, oh, my house was littered with those. <laughs> and they had the Epic Center uh, section uh, every month where they would talk about different RPGs and stuff. And, and Chrono Trigger was a big up-and-comer that uh, they had a whole feature on. And uh, I remember renting it from the uh, the Video King uh, to play it the first time. And I believe I got it for my birthday the year it came mm-hmm. out. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've had a copy of Chrono Trigger basically since it, it was introduced. Mm-hmm. For me, um, it was very different. And I, I would say, like, I actually played Chrono Trigger for the first time long after it first came out. However, doing the math, I still played Chrono Trigger for the first time closer to its release date than to now because um, we're both old and turning into sand. Um, So Chrono Trigger came out in 1995. I played it for the first time in the fall of 2006. Um, Now, we had a Super NES in it. Like, We were a Nintendo family until PlayStation became a thing. And then we became a PlayStation family. My brother dictated the video games. Like he was the gamer in our house. That's why I say like I was I was gamer adjacent. You know, my my brother got games and I watched him play them. I almost never got to actually play them myself. Um, And I could watch him play an adventure game forever. It was like watching a movie for me. That's why like I understand the appeal of Let's Plays and playthrough videos and stuff. Because I'm like, it's it's really nice to watch someone who's competent play these games. Sometimes it's Um, also fun to watch someone who's incompetent play a game. Oh, absolutely. Um, but and and I was very incompetent with games. Um, but Chrono Trigger was not one that I was even aware of. Um, I wasn't aware that we had it. Um, and because I don't want to say it's more under the radar because it's obviously always been like a somewhat popular, very well regarded game. But it's not like something that breaks out of like non-gamers don't know about Chrono Trigger, you know? Like, it's it's not like Zelda, which is definitely much more in the popular zeitgeist. So it wasn't until my brother went off to university and he left, uh, he left me his old systems, you know, he took his good ones with him and all his old games. And I had it up in my bedroom and a friend was staying with me. It was this weird thing where, like, I'd made a friend a couple years older than me at a drama festival and when I was 16 and he was, like, 19, he came to he came to watch a play I was in and my mom was like totally okay with that like yeah stay at our house I'm like wow mom was kind of cool for that but he was sitting in my room again door closed mom very cool for that and um but you know just proof of course nothing happened because I was a huge fucking nerd he goes (laughs) hey you have chrono trigger I was like oh yeah my brother gave me that he's like oh my god this is the best fucking game ever and I was like I, I've never heard of this game and he was like okay I know you have a play in a couple hours but let's put this on. And like, he just kind of took me through the game and like everything he told me about, it, I'm like, well, this sounds like that terrible movie, The Butterfly Effect. And he's like, kind of, but it's much better. And uh, yeah, I was absolutely hooked. I think it probably was the music that was the most intoxicating part of it for me. Uh, honestly, like the, the soundtrack for this game is incredible. And, you know, I don't know if we want to talk about uh, music right now or uh, get into it a little bit later, but, you know, the, the video game music was a very important part of, I think, a lot of the success, especially of some of these 
um, some of these RPGs uh, with like you know Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, uh, Chrono Trigger all had soundtracks that were very well regarded um, by fans at the time and have become effectively staples of you know Japanese culture. Like they played mm-hmm. they played two Chrono Trigger songs at the Tokyo Olympics in the opening ceremonies. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say this later, but I will I will say this now because I thought it I, I, it's pretty sweet. So my brother, uh, now that we're both grown up nerds and we can appreciate each other's unique nerdiness, um, a couple years ago was my brother's wedding. And while we were waiting for the wedding to start, I could I recognize some of the songs that they were playing and it was like classied up like orchestral versions of the Chrono Trigger soundtrack and I like actually ran into the entrance of the hall where my brother was getting married I was like dude did you put the Chrono Trigger soundtrack for your wedding he's like yes I was like oh man we're definitely related (laughs) like this is fantastic um I think it was actually my brother didn't even realize until then that I had taken a liking to Chrono Trigger because he was like, wait, you like Chrono Trigger? I was like, yeah, you left me the game. And he was like, I don't know, that was like fucking 15 years ago. But um, yeah, like he was uh, so it's it is objectively it's not even just good gaming music. It's good music. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's well, well put together. And even though, you know, even though it's in the MIDI format, um and I mean, I've I've read uh, enough about you know the process of uh, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda just kind of you know, sleeping in the studio to produce the soundtrack for this game and giving himself ulcers to the point where they had to bring in Uematsu to finish it off. But uh, like, there's so much like effort put into it, and it's it's such a unique sound too. Like, it's not it's not you don't hear it in too many other like that particular kind of sound that Chrono Trigger has. It's not a common, it's not a common uh, sound in, in, in other games. There, there's more of an attempt to replicate real instruments. I find like some of like, as opposed to something that just sounds like a chip tune, like you're actually um, like even something like I'm thinking of a more iconic or well-known uh, sound. It's like the world song from um, A Link to the Past, which is one of my favorite uh, Super NES games. And they're like, they're kind of doing something that sounds a bit like a fake ho- fake trumpet, but not really. Um, there's stuff that sounds like a fake harpsichord in this. And like, there's just an attempt, which gives it a little bit more like you can tell what era this is from, the eras that they created in the game. Um, also... It's one of the most iconic examples I can think of a MIDI tune, a video game tune being in waltz timing. You don't see that a lot, uh, or you don't hear that a lot, I should say. So um, yeah, before we go on too much of a music tangent, so these are the things we appreciate about it as an adult, but I'm curious to know, like, what were some of the things that kept young Ted just like sucked in and playing this game? Well, I mean, I think part of it was just how visually stunning it was at the time. It, Mm -hmm. It was so much better looking than any other game I had played up to that point, or at least any other RPG I had played up to that point. And, mm. um, and I just, I, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the, like I said, the music already, the graphics were really fun. And it was also just, it was such a unique experience in terms of um, the, the, the battle system in that the monsters kind of moved around a little bit and there was, there was a, a, an element of positioning that wasn't in, because I had played previously, you know, Final Fantasy, you have your heroes on the right side of the screen, you have your monsters on the left mm-hmm. side of the screen, and the monsters are just pictures, they don't move, and your, your character's attacks are fairly simple, very basic animations, 
Uh, and then along mm. comes Chrono Trigger. The, the monsters are jumping around. They're picking up rocks and throwing them at you. And you're hopping <laughs> over to them and slashing them with your sword or, you know, uh, throwing a fireball or something. And, and then, like, they react to it. You know, like, they, they're surprised that they're on fire. Like, it's, it was, it was so, it was so unique at the time. And, uh, and so it was just such an exciting little, uh, it was just such an exciting title, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in that era of, of gaming. I agree. For me, I think what really kept me going was the story, um, because, like I said, I was yeah, I was seventeen the first time I played this, and I had played um, the Zelda games, which they they are technically RPGs. You know, it's not quite the same we getting into format. This? <laughs> we don't have to, no, I'm just but I'm I will. Just kidding. I'll, I'll leave it. <laughs> Uh, wait, here's a question, and I'm sure this is not a simple yes or no. Do you consider Pokemon to be an RPG? Yes. Okay. Okay, we're on the same page. Um, at the very least, I think most people would agree that the Zelda games have RPG elements, particularly the early Zelda games. Um, but on, and um, you know, I'd played, I'd played the big Final Fantasies. I played, uh, I played four, I played seven. Weirdly, I play a lot of, I played a lot of Final Fantasy eight, which for some reason, I guess because that was my brother's favorite, I thought like this is the really well regarded one, right? And everyone's like, no, 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 seven. Everyone loves seven. Um, but, um. Whereas a lot of the RPGs and adventure games I had played, you know, they allowed for a lot of side quests or going off and like fucking around and breaking a bunch of pots in this room or whatever. Um, Chrono Trigger's story actually, like there's not a lot of, I mean, there are a few little Easter eggs and stuff, but there's not as much incentive to go out and just free play and fuck around in Chrono Trigger. The story actually does keep you incredibly focused. And it's a weird balance of there's this very expansive world. It was a notoriously huge game for them to design. And yet you like you are very I found myself very determined to get through everything and kind of make it all the way through, make it to the end, um, which, of course, once you make it to the end, that's an extra treat because you kind of like the the replay is also very unique but yeah like the story really keeps me going like to to quote Krusty the clown oh that just kept going like there's so many chapters to it and i was a big reader and it was probably the closest i'd ever felt to to a video game being like a book for me it is very linear uh the story up until the very end when it opens up and then you have um all of the uh, the characters all have their own little individual stories that you can do uh, at mm. the very end, like, uh, but up until that point, you're basically on a on a bit of a railroad. Yeah, no, I I do I do agree with with your elements uh, on on the story. Of course, I was much younger when I played. I was like ten, um, so mm. I didn't have quite the same uh, level of appreciation for that as a kid as maybe I would, you know, uh, playing it a little bit older, obviously going back to it as an older uh, p- person. But, um, you know, because I've got those rose-tinted goggles, because I have so many memories associated with it, it's a little hard to look at it from from fresh eyes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, a very important question I always ask, what little 10-year-old Ted, what were your kind of go-to gaming snacks? Were you a little garbage kid? I wasn't really allowed to snack too much uh, when I was playing games because when we first and and it, that was a result of ruining our NES controllers ah. with um, you know 
uh, food and, and and that sort of thing when we when we first got it because one of the things we used to do on Sundays was um, after church we would make like like a big greasy meal of like bacon and stuff but then my dad and I would play Nintendo and then <laughs> we uh, our controllers got all gummed up and we had to get new <laughs> ones and so it was like okay we can't eat and play at the same time um, but you know it's the usual right salt uh, salt and vinegar or maybe uh, sour cream and onion chips those are usually my favorites god i miss sour cream and onion chips um so yeah because like i said i only got into this game as a teenager i can't believe this is coming up now and not in my discussion on center stage because i was a teenage dancer unfortunately my go-to gaming snacks during this era were nothing and not for the reason that you described um (laughs) and and we'll keep it you know we want to keep this this is a happy discussion this is about how i was a weird nerd girl and we're not going to focus on my teenage eating disorders but i will say that my my parents did not have don't snack while gaming rules. Um, I think actually one of the other reasons I didn't snack often while playing this particular game was because at this point my system was in my room and I didn't like the habit of, I didn't like people who snacked in their rooms. I thought that was disgusting. Like I would never sit on my bed in my street clothes, even like on top of the covers. That's still a thing with me. I will not sit on top of my bed wearing anything but pajama pants. Um, And I will not, uh, I've, I've eaten fruit in bed, I guess, but yeah, I would not snack in my room. It's, I consider that like just a, a, a fridge too far. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, that makes sense. You don't want to get crumbs. Mm-hmm. So when you, uh, you know, young Ted kind of fell in love with Chrono Trigger was, I mean, it's a single player game. So obviously you couldn't literally share the experience with your friends. But do you recall like a lot of your friends enjoyed this? Like, were you guys going and, you know, leafing through Nintendo Power together and talking about how much you loved Chrono Trigger? Or was this kind of something like you were on your own for? I had one other friend who um, who was into games like this at the time mm-hmm. and I remember telling him about it and he was all excited for it too. I don't remember if he got his own copy or not, but but like we would share um we would we would swap games all the time. So like he had my copy of Robo Trek or Earthbound for a little bit and I would play some of his games and and uh and we would do we would do that sort of thing. But uh, but for the most part it was basically just it was basically just Ted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me and what I found I liked about these single player adventure games and RPGs was that, um, you know, and like, I like people. That's why I have a podcast so I can talk to people. I love talking to people and, um, and learning from people. Um, but I really love certain things like doing them on my own. I don't like other distractions. I completely actually understand why my brother didn't want to share controllers with me and stuff. So I loved that I could play this alone. I loved that I, um, I, yeah, I love that this was my own thing. And so I didn't, and obviously it's not the kind of thing you tell your friend, hey, come over and play Chrono Trigger. That said, my friend Brad was extremely supportive when he was like teaching me about the game and stuff. Um, That was also, I think it was then that I started really insistently pronouncing robot as robot. Um, Cause I, he's like, oh yeah, like in this world you get robo. And I'm like, who is robo? And he's like, he's a robot. I'm like, well, that doesn't answer anything, but now I'm going to say robot forever. Listen to the nice um, robots. <laughs> uh, I think this, you know what? Was this before? Yeah, I, I guess I did start playing this after Futurama started. Um, also, I had first heard that pronunciation from Homestar Runner. Um, but uh, what's a robot? But 
I don't recall a lot of my friends were Chrono Trigger fans. Um, not that it ever came up, but for a while, and I'll get into this, but this was the, this was, this and a few other things were the titles that I would drop. Uh, cause you know, when you're in your late teens, early twenties and guys are like, girls can't really, girls don't really like video games. Girls can't be real nerds. And I'm like, I have a, a cartridge copy of Chrono Trigger, which by the way, I still like you, I still have. Um, and it was this weird thing where it's like, girl, know about Chrono Trigger. Um, so that was like my thing that I would draw to be like, yes, I understand games. Like I understand which games are rare. I understand which games are sought after, you know, and which are popular. And um, so it was more like a card I would play, to be perfectly honest. Or a key to the gate for the gatekeepers mm. of yeah, the culture. Which, which, to be clear, I wasn't saying that to impress these guys because I would have no interest in uh, commingling with people who were like this. But it was... It was admittedly a bit of a card I played because, you know, you like to show like, yes, I'm a real nerd. Um, now I I realize like people can smell the nerd off me. But um, so I want to get into contextualizing this era a little bit because, um, yeah, like you had a good point in the notes about the way like gaming is mainstream now. Like we're talking about nerd, 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 nerd. And I will say, yes, I think in the in the Super Nintendo era, even though Nintendo has always been the quote-unquote mainstream system above others, gaming was still in general something that wasn't really mainstream. Gaming was a quote-unquote nerdy thing in the 90s as opposed to post-PlayStation and Xbox. Yeah, like, uh, obviously there there were still elements of it within popular culture. You know, people knew like about playing Nintendo that was a thing that people did but it was always sort of kind of looked down upon and and you know some games did have TV commercials there was a, a big one for Final Fantasy 6 uh, known as 3 at the time with Mog doing interviews for, with monsters that was uh, you can find it on YouTube but um <laughs> But yeah, no, it it wasn't it wasn't the it was a niche hobby, uh, you know. It wasn't the thing that it is now, right? Like mm -hmm. you know, PlayStation and Xbox really blew up video games into the mainstream and made it into. And I mean, obviously, the internet era, um, bringing more people together and being able to play uh, online definitely helped. Uh, but prior to uh, prior to those systems, I do think that you know it was much more of a of a of a niche kind of hobby that that you know it had some special interest mags like Nintendo Power or Game Pro or whatever but it wasn't it wasn't kind of like the big thing that everybody knows about now. Yeah. Even prior to like YouTube like I I recall there was kind of a distinct line drawn um you know I want to say like end of high school and um yeah, end of high school was when, you know, my friends and I would get together and play Grand Theft Auto and stuff. And then I started university and we, you know, we would all play like Halo or Call of Duty or something together. And that definitely felt a lot more like, okay, I'm here playing playing video games with guys who are stoners and jocks. Like gamers ceased to, I don't want to say ceased to be an archetype because it still is, but like you, in the 90s, it was someone like my brother, like, oh, this is a guy who likes video games, whereas video games just became an interest in a facet of some people's, uh, like, various interests. So, yeah. Um, so, I, uh, you also had a point about the scarcity of video games. Really want to know about this. Well, this is, this is more to do with the fact that I was 10. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, 
one of the things that I think about the reason that some of these older games like Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, um, and Earthbound and Robotrek and those types of games stick with me so much is because those were the only ones that I had, right? I was, you know, I was lucky to get more than two new video games per year. I would get one for my birthday mm-hmm. usually and maybe one for Christmas. If it, if it was a really if I was really lucky I might get one on like Easter or something, but like it was rare mm-hmm. to get multiple games, so you only had so many to play. And so, you know, and with Chrono Trigger because it has the, the multiple endings, um, you know, this one got a lot of replay to the point where I memorized the, how the seagulls sound at the beginning of the, <laughs> when you boot it up. Um, oh, that just gives me chills, that sound. <laughs> and, like, I knew the exact notes of every gull, and then when the fireworks pop off at the fair, but, so, so that was, so that was kind of, that was kind of the thing, whereas now, you know, like, obviously, I'm, I'm a grown man, I'm a professional, I have a salary, and I have all kinds of money, I can buy any new video game whenever I want, and, I find that it kind of cheapens the experience a little bit because I've bought games that just haven't really gone anywhere or that I haven't been all that interested in. in instead of, you know, being young and anticipating and waiting and hoping that, okay, this is going to be the year that I get, you know, this game that I've wanted, that I've been dropping hints to my parents about for, you know, <laughs> for weeks, uh, that this is the... And then you get Lee Carvalho's putting well, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And that was kind of, you know, the impetus between what uh, the impetus behind making this Tales from the Rec Room and talking about physical media is like, the idea that like, I can, you know, even with movies and TV shows, I can watch any movie I want right now. And all of a sudden, movies aren't special anymore. And the same applies to like, you know, things like, uh, like Steam and, or, and even, frankly, emulators of like, oh, I can play whatever video game I want. Like, there's something still like I so I have still my Super NES and Super NES and my cartridges. And I uh, the only reason I don't play them is because I don't currently have a TV that I can easily hook them up to. And so I kind of just look at it longingly. And Jared's always like, why don't you just use an emulator? And I'm like, it's not the same it's not the same same. at all there's something so special about the feeling of poppy especially the with the super nest the feeling of releasing the game as well absolute sensory Mm. um also i were you like me and didn't realize how expensive games were until you were older or did you like get the guff from your parents and so you knew exactly how expensive games were when you were oh i knew i knew when this game came out it was a hundred dollars it was holy shit this it was 99.99 at the zeller's Canadian. Only 99 dollars um, In 1995, yeah. which is... Jesus you know. Christ. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I knew all about it, but... Um. Okay. So, with with me, it's funny. My siblings... I've, I've said this before. Like, I'm the youngest, and I am a very classic youngest child. But my siblings have always, like, followed that narrative of, oh, yeah, Brie was the spoiled one. Brie was the spoiled one. And they that's evidenced by the fact that um, my parents supported a lot of dance for me because, um, yeah, I did dance. My siblings did pretty much no extracurricular. By the time they were middle school age, they'd, they'd given up on sports and anything. We just, my sister and I had our music lessons, which we got for free through barter. And my brother, even still, when we're in our 30s, you know, and just, you know, my brother's my bestie, but we'll argue and be like, oh, well, mom and dad paid so much for your dance lessons. And then I, when I looked at at, you know, images of old video game advertisements and stuff, I'm like, 
I think mom and dad spent not not even just as much, so much more on your video games and systems than was ever spent on my dancing. Like, holy shit. Um, I, and, you know, your parents did the, probably did the sensible thing in like a birthday video game and a Christmas video game. My brother was getting more than birthday and Christmas, that's for sure. So um, all that is to say, I'm really glad that he did pass them down to me. And, um, you know, I'm really glad that we saved our games as well, because like now, again, like not to be all kids these days don't know how good they have it. But like if, you know, we moved so much and there were cullings of cartridges. What I have is what we saved. Somehow I ended up with Donkey Kong Country 2 and we never owned that one. So I might have stolen that from someone. But um, yeah, like the idea of like, we're moving. You need to get rid of some of your games. Kids don't understand that now because everything is just digitally purchased now. Which has its own drawbacks because, which we've seen with um, Nintendo shutting down the 3DS eStore. You can't, mm. there's a lot of games that you can't get any longer because, you know, the physical copies are, are rare or never existed. And with the online support uh, officially ended, you know, outside of jailbreaking your system or whatever, um, there's there's no way to get these games any longer. Uh, whereas, you know, obviously, uh, or at least like in a legal sense, anyway. Um, uh, whereas, you know, with with physical copies, like you can keep it as long as you as long as you can keep it and keep it working. I mean, I still have an NES. It's a struggle to get it to to come alive. Um, <laughs> you know, but when you know, and and I'm like you now. I don't have a TV that that um, that I could hook it up to. I got rid mm -hmm. of our old CRT TV a long time ago. Um, but, you know, back when I used to hook up the NES sometimes, it's like, oh, you know what, I want to play Dragon Warrior 4. And it's just like, well, just emulate it. Well, no, no, I'm going to plug it into my Nintendo and I'm going to struggle with it for half an hour to get it to connect and turn on. And then once it turned on, it was fine as long as I didn't touch the cartridge. And um, I never had the trouble with my <laughs> SNES, but, um, but the NES was always kind of weak. But uh, but yeah, and, and then and I would play the games physically um, with the system. And I did that for many, many, many years. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure you saw the big news about uh, Nintendo is re-releasing... Um... Super Mario RPG. Oh, that's going to be fun. Uh, that was yeah. a fun game too. I really enjoyed that one. So that is another one I still have my cartridge of. And that was one I did not realize until my 20s was actually a hot commodity. I guess I thought that Mario RPG was regarded as a bit of a joke. Um, but it is a legitimately good RPG. It's a fun game. Um, it is a, it yeah. is a Squaresoft RPG that uh, yeah. Nintendo uh, made with them. And, you know, it's it's got Mario elements. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I rather enjoyed it. And uh, it's also mm -hmm. got uh, a pretty nice soundtrack as well. Yeah. I consider myself the mo the mallow of a friend group um, in that I'm a giant crybaby and I'm soft and puffy. Um, so in reading the oral history of Chrono Trigger, what I found interesting because I guess I figured like, oh yeah, this, like, I had figured with, as was with most things that this either came at a time when JRPGs were hugely in demand in North America, or maybe it kicked off a revolution of JRPGs in North America. And it kind of didn't do either. Like, it's regarded as one of the best JRPGs, if not video games of all time. And yet, 
it wasn't a huge commercial success in North America. It was a huge commercial success in Japan. Like it wasn't a commercial failure, but it wasn't this resounding success. So I think this was more something for people who were already into JRPGs. Like if you were into Final Fantasy or if you were into Dragon Quest, this was your game. Oh yeah, yeah. That's and then that's how like that's how I came across it, right? Like I, I mentioned, the Epic Center and mm-hmm. Nintendo Power. Uh, that's where I, I learned about it, and I was I was hooked on those games in particular. And it all started with you know when I was very young, and my dad first got an NES for the family, and there was one game that. I wasn't allowed to play his his forbidden game of mystery, and I was obsessed with it. And it was the original Final Fantasy because it only has one save file, right? So, oh, so you, I've never played the original. So the original on NES, it just saves over what you've done every time you go to the inn. And so I wasn't allowed to play it because it, I would screw up my dad's playthrough of it, right? So, so I I would I could watch him play it. So I've been doing I've been watching Let's Plays since I was like seven you know um and and i loved it uh and when we finally got games that we could also play and that was like with dragon warrior um those were those had multiple save files so we were allowed to play those on our own files um that was really exciting and and i just i got into them from that age onwards and then with nintendo power they had that one dedicated section for rpgs for a while in the 90s and so I would read about all the different games, and some of them I did get to own, some of them I didn't. I never got to own, uh, like, Illusion of Gaia, for example, but, uh, you know, uh, so that's been always, that's always been kind of my, <laughs> my, my, my game of choice. Ted, I should have asked this in the notes, but are you or have you ever been a player of, like, turn-based, like, in-person RPGs? Sorry, I had a, a technical issue there for a second. Okay. Uh, no, were you, I was just asking, um, are you or have you ever been a player of like turn-based RPGs like with, with friends? With friends? Yeah. Um, not really. Yeah, I, I never have either. I've never played D&D. Um, we have like a little gaming cafe in my town that looks like a really cool place. And like they, they have these kinds of events. And I've always been like, oh, maybe I want to try it. But like maybe I'm too... Again, I think... There's my love of storytelling that wants me to, that makes me want to try it. But then that really, really fights against my love of playing games alone, you know? <laughs> I, I, uh, it's that social anxiety of, of not wanting to, to screw things up. No, Yeah, I, I've i never played Dungeons & Dragons as much as I've loved the Dungeons & Dragons adjacent video games like Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and things like that. And I had many mm-hmm. D&D books. I bought D&D books because I just liked how they kind of stimulated my imagination and, mm-hmm. and and I would do world building and that sort of thing but I never actually DM'd or played a game like that yeah so um when I was looking into kind of the history of like how RPGs became what they are now um I was <laughs> I saw I saw the word dragon and I thought oh maybe something from the Dragon Quest family was considered like the first console game but something called Dragon Stomper which I I wanted to I admittedly I was running out of time when I looked that up I want to look this up because I am picturing something just kind of hilarious I'm picturing just a big flat-footed dragon stomping around uh but that was 1982 I believe it was for Atari and there had been text-based RPGs played via mainframe computers and personal computers but 
but this was considered the first RPG console game. And then the late 80s were a real turning point for the genre um, because there was a whole bunch of titles, one notable one being Zelda 2 Adventure for Link on the Famicom, um, expanding the genre from turn-based into action-based RPGs. So from the 90s, consoles would go on to become the dominant medium for RPGs. Now, because Chrono Trigger was mid-90s, I wouldn't say this was the last bastion of this iteration of RPGs, but within a few years, when disc-based systems such as PlayStation, PlayStation would hit the market, there would be able to be more emphasis on story, cutscenes, action, longer stories. Um, and so, but but this was considered a, like, pardon my French, pack-to-the-tits game in terms of story and visual elements. It was, at the time, either SNES's largest game or maybe one of their largest games. Um, in the middle of development, it was originally a 24 megabyte cartridge and it uh, it jumped to 32 uh, midway through development. Um, I find it funny to think of and contextualize because at first I was like, oh yeah, because you know it's time travel. There's so many different realities and permutations. But there's actually not that many permutations of different ways that the story can turn out. Like, like you said, the story is pretty linear. Weirdly, it's um, the actual com- the it's the complaint that I also have with the movie The Butterfly Effect. Um, I d- side note: Have you seen that movie The Butterfly Effect? I have not. You are so lucky. Um, however, I'm I am not going to let you get off the hook. You need to at least understand what this story, this movie is about, because it's so terrible it will permanently mark you. Um, and it's Ashton Kutcher going back like through old journals to his traumatic childhood and trying to change things so he can save the life of Amy Smart. But as and I think it was We Hate Movies who pointed this out that like he'll like. They're like, he's going back and he's changing these huge things and yet he comes back to the present and just like one thing is changed. And they're like, you know, the 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 movie opens with like, oh, if a butterfly flaps its wings in Asia, someone halfway around the world has a heart attack. Um, and that's chaos theory. But it's like, they're like, hey, if a butterfly flaps its wings, some guy over there might see it. Like nothing actually changes. They're like, there should be different presidents or something every time, and yet he comes back and he has the same college roommate. That's kind of what Chrono Trigger is, except it's not bad. Well, yeah, and I remember um, when I first played it, and I got to the uh, the quest where you can restore the forest, or like you can turn the the desert back into the forest in mm-hmm. in the present. You go back into 600 AD, you drop off Robo, and he just calls the land for 400 years. And, <laughs> and, and my dad goes, boy, you're just messing with the time stream now, aren't you? <laughs> this is going to cost me. <laughs> right? But it's, but it's, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, oh, you get... Uh, Lucas' mom's uh, legs don't get destroyed in the machine, and all it is is like you get one little scene at the ending where she wants to get her husband up off the off the chair to come dance with her, and that's all that really changes. Whereas this would be like a like a life changing, like it would alter the course of that family's entire you know uh, entire life. But you know, <laughs> like I didn't you hear? Flanders is the unquestioned Lord and Master of the Universe. <laughs> um, no, so I. 
um, I also think it's less that Chrono Trigger revolutionized the gaming industry. I don't think the game itself revolutionized anything. However, um, I, I want you to use the term that you wrote down for this group. Oh, the uh, traveling Wilburys of RPG developers? <laughs> Absolutely. So now, I, uh, despite loving uh, Japanese games, I am uh, not great at Japanese pronunciation, but the creators, uh, creators uh, Hironobu Sagakuchi, uh, who created Final Fantasy, uh, this is Yuji Hori, uh, who, Dragon Quest creator, and Akira Toriyama, who um, created actually Dragon Ball. And then designer, this one, Kazuhiko Aoki, yeah, um, right. famously of Final Fantasy IV, and composer, or you said he was a fill-in composer, uh, Nobuo Uematsu? Uh, yeah, Uematsu came in to fill-in. I think, I think he did like 10 tracks. The The soundtrack was largely by Yasunori Mitsuda, who was a sound designer mm-hmm. at Square uh, at the time and threatened to quit unless he got to compose music. And they said, okay, compose music for this this new game we're doing. And obviously, like you said, it, you had this super group of developers, and that's why he worked so hard on uh, putting this soundtrack together and and he did he developed stomach ulcers at some point during the process <laughs> and he was so sick that they had to bring in uh, Nobu to uh, finish it off it's it's like when you hear about how uh, Stanley Kubrick like fucking tortured Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining and you're like oh wow Stanley Kubrick was kind of a bad person and then there's part of you that's like <sighs> But I'm fine with that still happening because it turned out really good. Like, you know, like, ooh, you don't want a person to develop stomach ulcers, but you know what? Kid me was really happy with the results. Like, you know, um, and if this game has taught us anything, it's that we probably shouldn't go back in time. Actually, no, if Chrono Cross has taught us anything, it's that we shouldn't go back in time and try aggressively to change shit. Um, what? Uh, but... So what I was reading was like beyond just this like absolute super group that was the kind of five lead creatives on this, over a dozen members of the Chrono Trigger team would go on to direct a game later in their career. Like that is really, really huge. Um, But again, like this is a huge game in terms of how much went into it, how much care went into the design, into the music, into the story. Um, My God, this was an all hands on deck production. And I think it... it, it um, also goes in, going into your, your uh, size of the cart at the time, I mean, if you look at the environments, um, like the overworld map is is a little simplistic, but once you go into people's houses, uh, there are so many mm-hmm. little details of like dishes piled up on the shelf uh, and, mm-hmm. and just little little doodads and, and bits and bobs all around uh, all around the world that, that you can just kind of look at. And you don't really think about it um, because they're just in the background. But I mean, every single one of those items is a tile that had to be designed for a tile set by a, a graphic artist. And mm-hmm. each one of those tiles takes up a little bit of memory. And this was, you know, back before memory was cheap. And so uh, just having having that level of of detail uh, was an investment, right? Like they had to, this is something that we, you know, we have to put uh, memory into this. <laughs> and that's why, why I think like RPGs, the appeal of them is like, you know, because you are able to just freely walk around these worlds, like as a kid, that is the best part is like going up to like going up to a little kitty at the fair or whatever. And like, you know, going and buying the candy at the fair because you can do all that. It allows your audience to actually appreciate those things. Like that's why I think RPGs have 
um, tend to amass these very devoted fan bases as opposed to like, you know, people really fucking love Mario Kart, but no one's like, I am a, I am a fucking Mario Kart scholar, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mario Kart's fun to play and, and the levels are, are very interesting, but they go by so fast and there's not a lot you can do to explore them. Whereas, yeah, you're right, you know, RPGs and games of that nature, you know, your Legends of Zelda and things like that, where you are free to just wander around the world and look, into, look at things and explore every nook and cranny and you're usually rewarded with items and and money and and uh, and things for doing that uh it's mm-hmm. it's just such a it's just such a different experience from the kind of goal driven sort of you know go right until you get to the end uh style of uh of side scrollers and things that uh, that that existed at the time and i mean that was always my mm-hmm. thing with rpgs i always kind of like to you know and why i play uh play them to this day and MMOs and things like that it's just it's sometimes it's just being in the world right you know as much as Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily goal oriented sometimes there's not one thing in particular that I'm trying to do uh I'm just trying to I just I just want to be in the world for a bit and exist in the in the in in the world that was created Mm -hmm. so now I when I was reading the fantastic medium piece it's called timeless the history of chrono trigger and it mentioned the factor of Chrono being a silent protagonist. And I think there's a little bit of, I don't want to say it's misrepresented in this article a little bit, but it kind of frames it as though it was unique for Chrono to be a silent protagonist. And like I said, I didn't discover this game until my teens. And so by then I was used to silent protagonists because I played a lot of Zelda. Um, and it they kind of frame it in this article as though it was a huge creative risk to have a silent protagonist. Now, like if you look at later RPGs, it's even like something like Mario RPG. It's considered the RPG standard. But you'd said that because I've never played Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest had silent protagonists. Dragon Quest was always silent protagonists. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. think I didn't think anything of it at the time uh, that Chrono was was silent because that was just the norm, uh, as far as mm-hmm. I was concerned. I mean, uh, you know, that was what set Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy apart. I mean, aside from the very first Final Fantasy, because it was just you know you pick a, a party of four different kinds of characters. And and that was it. But every other game from that point on, all the characters had personalities and voices and 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 lines and, and that sort of thing. Whereas Dragon Quest, your main character is always supposed to be you. You were supposed to insert mm-hmm. yourself into it. And uh, and so the main character never talked. It was all the characters around them, and you just had the choice of yes or no most of the time. So silent mm-hmm. protagonists were were very much the norm. Um, but I think maybe kind of the angle was that because this was such a spectacle and because other JRPGs uh, of the era had started to move away from that silence, you know, because Final Mm. Fantasy VI um, was such a juggernaut um, within that... um, within that circle, right, which had had this huge cast and everybody has their part to play, going back to having a character, a main character who doesn't say anything might have might have been a, a risk, I suppose. But, but mm-hmm. you know, at the time, I never thought about it because that was just a normal thing that was in a lot of games. And like Link, like you said, I Link never, you. never speaks either. I mean, he does yell a lot, yep. but... Uh... <laughs> ah! um, okay, so this is great, though, because this brings uh, me to what I call the rabbit hole section, where we talk about kind of the ways that this game, um, you know, sent us down rabbit holes, either in our personal lives or in our media consumption, how our impressionable little brains altered after after we played this. So, I mean, I've already covered uh, a lot of this. I will say that, surprisingly, this didn't send me down a major JRPG rabbit hole, because also by the time I started playing this game, 
like we were well into the GameCube era, it was really difficult for me to find Super Nintendo games. The only places I could find them were pawn shops. And as much as my parents, like I always say on this show, my parents let me watch whatever the fuck I want. My parents were weirdly strict about me not going to pawn shops. Anything that could reasonably be a front for like drug and money laundering and stuff, my parents were like, please don't go in there. And in my hometown, everything was a front. So um, I didn't like just get super into games. However, when people learned that I liked Chrono Trigger, they were like, oh, you would love Final Fantasy VII. And so I did get Final Fantasy VII. That was, and um, as well as I played four before, um, but I also got into Final Fantasy V after this. So um, yeah, like it's, um, it wasn't that like, I was like, oh, I love JRPGs after this. It was, however, like, I am starting to care a lot about story in my game. I think that's that's how I would put it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I'm a little bit different like I said because I, you know, I was already into I was already into RPGs from the very beginning. So this was kind of like mm-hmm. at the time it was sort of the pinnacle of things. Um but this was more of um this was more of like it, it has much more of an emotional attachment to it just because I know I was young and I was starting to get into girls and you know you have mm-hmm. that thing at the very beginning where Chrono bumps into Now, okay. How do you pronounce Princess Nadia's nickname in this. I, I've always said it Marl. That's pretty much, <laughs> which I realize just sounds like I'm calling her Carl, but with an M. Um, yeah. And I, I've heard. I know some, I've heard some people say like Marley or Marley. Uh, it's it's Marl. Yeah, I've always said Marl. That's just how I read it. Uh, it, it might, mm-hmm. I, I assume it's like probably some kind of like vaguely European. Maybe it's supposed to be like Marla or something like that, but uh, but I anyway, um, so he bumps into Marl, and <laughs> I'm just gonna call her that. And you know, and then I was mm-hmm. like, you know, she's a redhead with a ponytail, and I was sort of into that. And so that was like, you know, that was my thing. And then it's like I would like to, I would imagine, you know, I would name Chrono after myself, and I would name her after a crush that I had. I would change my characters' names <laughs> to be my friends and crushes and things, because um, you could do that. You could you could change you could change your names. Um, but this this game was also my, my first introduction to Akira Toriyama because I didn't know about mm-hmm. um, I didn't know about Dragon Ball uh, before then. But um, and and like Toriyama did all the monster designs for Dragon Quest, like from the very mm-hmm. beginning, from the slime in Dragon Warrior One, the very first monster you see was was a Toriyama design. But that wasn't really promoted much back then, and it never came up. And and also like I mean, Dragon Warrior Four was one of the it was the chrono trigger of the NES for me. That was the biggest game that we yeah. had, and the um, the the booklet that came with it, the instruction booklet, had drawings of all the main characters, but they were westernized drawings. They weren't the Toriyama kind of anime style drawings. So I didn't ah. know about this guy until you know a little bit after, like a f- couple of years after Chrono Trigger, I had been playing it, and YTV picked up the original Dragon Ball cartoon, and. Bulma is at one. I saw her at one point wearing a dress very similar to what Marl wears, and I'm like, "Oh, this looks like Chrono Trigger," and and <laughs> I think my friend was like, "Yeah, it's the same artist," and uh, and then that's so that's how I discovered um, that's how I discovered that kind of side of things, and then of course, you know, getting into emulation in the early 2000s um, allowed me to play a lot of other 
SNES RPGs that I never got to play physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like Final Fantasy V. Um, and, uh, and then so that's sort of where you know, my love for JRPGs sort of led to, because we got an N64 and not a PlayStation, because we only got one new console. And the new console mm-hmm. generation came out, you got one, and that was it. Because then you had to buy new games, and I had to explain... God, you're just making me realize how fucking spoiled my brother was. <laughs> like, because I had to... Ex- <laughs> we were not a family of means. I had to explain to my mom every time, because it's like, no, no, it's a new console, we have to get this. Well, does it play the old games? No, it doesn't. We have to get new games. It's like, but you already have all these old <laughs> games, though. It's like, yeah, but the those are old. We have to get new games now. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's like, but this, con- this is just like, you know, this is very expensive. And it's like, so, you know, so I never got, I never got the, the PS1. So I didn't have that Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII experience at the time because I was playing Quest 64 and Ogre mm-hmm. Battle 64, Person of Lordly Caliber. Those were the games that I had to subsist on at the time. So I think this is a great, great segue to one of the rabbit holes that, um, which actually technically I did get into this before I was into Chrono Trigger because I got into this in middle school and I'm about to, um, if if any nerds are listening, I'm about to give everyone throbbing hard-ons, RPG Maker 2000. Man, oh man. Um, I, I, obviously my brother put it on our computer uh, and I had first gotten into it when I was about 12 or 13, which is kind of like the ideal age to get into that. Um, And again, like I knew of some RPGs at the time, but once I had, um, once I played Chrono Trigger for the first time, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to re-download that RPG Maker 2000 and just try, like, obviously I basically tried to make my version of Chrono Trigger. um, But I think what had impressed me the most about Chrono Trigger um, was like the set pieces and not even like there's the little details like you mentioned, but even like the way they used background images for uh, things like the battle scenes um, or um, like I always think of like the first time when you're bringing when you're going back to uh, the, the near past with Princess Nadia, like the um, the courtroom scene, like that's a that's really, really elegant. And when you start playing something like an RPG Maker 2000. I think that's when you start to really um, understand how much fucking work goes into this. And so I developed a huge appreciation for the artistry of that game beyond just, like I said, what initially attracted it attracted me to it was the story. But when you start to think like, oh my God, how did they do something of this scale and make it so beautiful. Oh yeah, it's incredible. And I had my own experience with RPG Maker 2000 as well. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I tried making a few games of my own, and and sometimes it was just you know, a matter of just kind of, you know, futzing around with with world building and that sort of thing. And and I had trouble figuring out how to make a treasure chest that didn't just give people infinite potions if you pressed A every time in front of it. Um, but I did I did make I did make a game for the forum I was on at the time where it's like all the NPCs were different people from the forum who were regular posters and it was a whole story about traveling into the computer it was it was stupid and I think like one person played it but you know I did I did make it it started from beginning to end and it had a story and uh, battle scenes and so it technically was a game that's really sweet. Um, also, in response to your earlier point about renaming uh, people, when I was a kid, and I think probably, if I'm really thinking about it, the first RPG I played was probably A Link to the Past followed by Mario RPG. 
And I did name, uh, I think I liked naming my characters after like cartoon characters and stuff. Like I would definitely, someone, there would always be a Homer, you know, but um when I was a teenager, at that point, I'd heard my brother go on his tangent enough about how, like, renaming characters is so inelegant. Like, you have to, like, he was a real, like, stick with the classics, stick with their regular names. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Everyone keeps their original name. So I didn't, by the time I was into Chrono Trigger, I did not rename my characters. Oh, I did that with all my games. Uh, Earth- oh, I was, I was an asshole. <laughs> Earthbound especially, uh, because it was modern, right? So... Mm-hmm. I, that was that was so much fun, but you know you could do that, and uh, mm-hmm. not like now with voice acting. Obviously, uh, they they don't let you anymore. But uh, that was always a f- that was that always just, a fun thing. That just makes me think of um, well, I mean, with who knows? Because with AI now, you could be uh, you know you could get into being able to rename your characters again. But it's just making me think of because today's episode or this week's episode of Talking Simpsons for Patreon for patrons was the Camp Krusty episode. And so I'm just thinking of like, this is my friend, Mr. Black, um, which very much feels like an RPG opening. Like, good morning, Mr. Black. To my executor, Lionel Hutz, I leave $50,000. <laughs> I'd be surprised how often that works. You really would. So it's great, though, because you mentioned modern RPGs. Um, and a really important question to ask with all these episodes is what is the modern equivalent? And like, it's hard because even asking, like, what is modern? And I've kind of looked at, like, 2016 on maybe the last 10 years, um, you know, in the streaming era, in the case of games, in in the Steam and Origins era. Like, I don't know, when did all the EB games start shutting down? Um but um, like I obviously you can't replicate the magic of 90s JRPGs, which is not to say that RPGs are not good anymore. I think RPGs are great. But um, like I said, once you got into disc based, like once the games were able to become bigger, um, I don't want to say it loses the luster a little bit. But like when you appreciate or when you understand what goes into the game and you're like, oh, my God, how did they fit all of this on this cart? And now like again games are allowed to be as big as they fucking want and so it's like yeah i know exactly how they put how they fit all this because memory is not as expensive anymore but like chrono trigger was extremely of its time you could of course like go with something like in the dragon quest universe because the creator connections but for me um i would lean toward like the modern equivalent of this if you like chrono trigger because of the story um Classic RPGs, like or fans of classic RPGs like Chrono Trigger would probably be also be fans of Disco Elysium. A lot of the the settings remind me of like, especially the apocalyptic settings in Chrono Trigger. There's a lot of familiarity there. Um, it's also a bit more exposition heavy um, than an explore through action type RPG. So in that regard, I would say Disco Elysium like is if if you're looking for a modern RPG that you like, um, that you like just as much as I liked Chrono Trigger, I think Disco Elysium is a good kind of step in. Yeah, you know what? That's something I've never played. So, I mean, I can look into that. But uh, yeah. It, it... Friend of the show, Helen, had recommended it for me uh, back in November. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a good time. My, my recommendations are more kind of um, pretty basic, but uh, Square Enix has been doing... Um, uh, uh, a, a wide uh, array of um, what they call like HD 2D, where it's um, mm-hmm. very, very beautiful uh, modern style graphics, but in that sort of 16-bit 
kind of style of pixel uh, pixel games. And so, like, you've mm-hmm. got Octopath Traveler, and they all have weird names. Like, so you've got Octopath Traveler 1 and 2. 2 uh, just came out uh, a little while ago. It was really good. I just uh, played that recently. It's got turn-based combat. It has a, a few tweaks to, to the formula that change it a little bit up from uh, the, the, the traditional 16-bit style kind of games. Triangle Strategy is more of a tactics game, but it's that same kind of look. It's that same kind of feel. It's got a really strong story, which, by the way, I love that while there are elements of magic in the game the entire story is very political like it's about mm-hmm. the 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 conflict in the game is around salt tariffs <laughs> and, and i'm not making that up it's and and there's no like grand you know oh all and oh and suddenly it turns out an evil dragon has been controlling things no it's just you it's very political and there's machinations and so that's kind of a thing that uh, that that people might like i would also suggest the remake of live alive which came out um a couple of years ago now i think um this was an old um Super Famicom RPG that never made it stateside, and it was um, also it has a lot of Chrono Trigger connections and a lot of Chrono Trigger feels to it. Uh, so the director of Live Alive um, ended up co-directing Chrono Trigger, um, okay. and if you play through this, especially um, especially the the near future chapter in Live Alive, you'll you'll get a lot of uh, in the remake you get a lot of feelings like oh I can see where you know there are elements of what Chrono Trigger became in this game. Um, and so that's one. And then I would also say, uh, if you're more into the time travel aspect of it, although Radiant Historia is a little old at this point, um, the 2018 remake um, was really good. And and it has sort of some of those connections as well, because the person who did the music for uh, Radiant Historia did the music for Live Alive, uh, Yomo Shimamura, or Yoko Shimamura, who's also the person who did a lot of the music for Super Mario RPG, bringing it back to that, which is coming back out again this fall. Yes. God, yeah, even 2018 was like a while ago when I realized like I was still in my 20s. Like I just turned 34 and uh, uh, my back really hurts. Um, so, wow, this this is this is so exciting because now I've got I'm writing down just a list of like things I want to check out. But I'm really excited because we've brought back the lightning round. Bam, bam, bam. Um, so, Ted, are you ready? Yes. Okay. So in Chrono Trigger, who is your ideal battle trio? I always liked having the the physical attackers, as mm-hmm. as, as much as magic is fun. Uh, for some reason, my my ideal battle battle trio is Chrono, Robo, and Ayla. Um, their triple tech isn't very good, but they just have so much power that you can just like just crush dudes, and it's so mm-hmm. much fun. As much as I love crushing dudes, um, so when I was young, I used to be like you. I used to love. Um, I used to really gravitate toward physical attackers because I really am stingy with um, magic points of any kind. However, I really like throwing Luca in there. I like any fire, um, any any fire you can get. Um, I also actually really like Frog. The only, I don't understand why I liked Frog so much when I was younger because he's essentially the same, he's largely the same uh, skill set as Chrono. Um, but then I, usually I think I would end up going with Chrono, Luca, Ayla, which like this is answering a later question of me, but that might also be the queerest trio. <laughs> yeah, we can get into that. Oh yeah, but um, so 
First, a very important question. Do you mentally read Frog's voice in a British accent, a North American accent, or just ribbits and croaks? I only, you know, I was thinking about this, and I don't, I don't know how to answer that, because, like, when I was... When I, when I originally played it, I was just kind of reading the voices out loud or, or mm-hmm. reading the lines out loud. Now, obviously, he speaks in ye olde English, but I never really put it in a British accent before. And I haven't really thought about it, you know, just how it sounds in my mind. Um, so I guess I just, I guess, it, I guess I would have to give it a North American accent just because it just, I just read it plain, um, which is strange. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's just kind of how it is, I guess. I kind of read him as like Carrie always in the Princess Bride, to be honest. Like, um, but it would like, you know, in the episode of Simpsons where uh, it's the Treehouse of Horror episode where Pierce Brosnan is the voice of the Robo House, and as they uh, unplug his British charm, he's like, "Thanks a lot, you nitwits." I did kind of like to imagine <laughs> when Frog dies that that that's what he sounds like. Um, but no, I pictured him as very charming. Okay, so like I said, and I'm, you know, as a bi, I'm allowed to make this declaration. All of these characters are a little bit queer, I think. Um, the, the question is, who is the most? Okay, so I'm going to say Ayla, canonically, uh, because mm-hmm. I believe she has a line about liking both men and women. She just likes strong people, so it doesn't matter mm-hmm. to her. Uh, but also Flea, um, because I believe Flea is... Uh, canonically trans, or at least um, uh, at least a crossdresser, at the very least. Uh, Was it you who pointed out on our Star Wars series that Jabba the Hutt is trans, or not trans, but gender fluid? It wasn't me. No, I think that was Mike. Okay. Um, so for me, I think Luca is um, uh, because, like, if I recall, Luca is just completely gaga over Marl. I think. I could be misremembering, but she's absolutely in love with Marl. I also think there's something about Frog that is very fancy. But yeah, I mean, it could be, but uh, I, I don't know. Frog is uh, definitely, uh, definitely got it on for the queen, though. Yeah, I don't know. I read that as um, uh, very like Tobias Funke being very like, ah, yes, my my female wife. Um, <laughs> okay, so here's here's the big one. What is the best music in the game? So this is such a tough one to this is such a tough one to answer because mm-hmm. this the music is so good. But if I'm gonna pick one song, mm-hmm. I have to pick Wind Scene, which is the music that plays in 600 AD on the Overworld, mm-hmm. because that's the one it it gives me goosebumps every time I listen to it, because that's the first that's the first music that plays when you realize that you're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, you start the game and you're in your town and you go to the fair and the fair is all kind of fun and whatever. And there's the, there's the exciting and dramatic music when you're and you, when the, 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 the pod, the teleporter pod malfunctions and you decide you're, you're going to get on and you're going to go into the, whatever just happened and going to rescue the girl. And you go back and you get out of the mountain and you're in the same town but there's this weird fog everywhere and there's this there's this hauntingly perfect little song that plays and then the, the midi strings come in and and it's just and it's the first time that you're like we're not in Kansas anymore like the, yeah you, you know, we're somewhere else or some when else and and that's <laughs> the, that's the first that's the first time that 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 example happens and like there's just so much nostalgia packed into that that song for me that that's what i have to pick 
Yeah, um, I I think if I recall, that was the song that made me realize just before my brother's wedding that um, that I'm like, oh, this is from Chrono Trigger. It is very very recognizable. Um, that's also another example when I was talking about like they emulate real instruments. They're imitating pizzicato uh, violin in that, which is a very very specific thing to imitate. Um, and I am a huge fan of pizzicato. Um, but, uh, for me, and I think this is generally regarded as one of the best, uh, songs. Weirdly, I like it better in covers than in the actual game, but, uh, at the bottom of the night, which is a very, very moody, um, uh, piece of music. I've seen some really good orchestral covers. I've seen some really good, um, uh, really good uh string covers and solo and guitar covers but for me at the bottom of the night it's it's really moody it's almost more like a film score kind of thing but it's one of those things this isn't a good video game song this is a good song it's very very emotional yeah no for sure and i don't know if there are um problems in terms of the editing of being able to put a little bit of the music in underneath while we're talking about this um but yeah no no i should yeah and um i do want to just mention corridors of time as well the zeal mm-hmm. kingdom music because and i don't know what i i am guessing it's like a sitar or something that they're putting kind of kind of mm-hmm. putting in there but like that that's like my go to like i need to relax song Mm -hmm. if i need to calm myself down and relax sometimes i'll just put that on in in, in my headphones because that's another one that just kind of always brings me back and kind of centers me um but yeah no that's a good choice too Mm -hmm. okay um so have you played any of the spinoffs or sequels and if so um which which is the best and i know there's some debate over what is officially considered a spinoff but i guess like Anything that you consider to be in the Chrono Trigger universe of things? No, unfortunately, I didn't have a PlayStation, so I never got to play Chrono Cross, mm-hmm. and I, I just, I have not bought the remake. I know they had a remake a little while back, and I just haven't, haven't made the, the made the time for it. And Radical mm-hmm. Dreamers was never released over here, so I don't know mm-hmm. anything about that. I mean, the remake was largely panned. Um, I have played Chrono Cross, but I didn't make it all the way through, and that's because it, I, I must have played it on a friend's place or something, because I just kind of played it a couple times, and I generally, I agree with the consensus that it is a good game, but not a good sequel, um, and they they really do attempt to kind of make that into the actual butterfly effect um, story that is, you know, like... By the way, this is what happened because Chrono went and fucked around with the timelines. Um, the attempts to tie it back to the original are really weak, but it is better as a standalone game than anything. But the reason why I think a lot of people don't like Chrono Cross is because the things that make Chrono Trigger memorable, i.e. the story, the setting, the music, like that's really absent from it. Um, okay, so here's a really important question, probably the most important question. Who do you bet on in the race? Green Ambler, all the way. Oh my god, me too! Definitely, like, the Steel Runner does not look like he should be a runner, and anytime he wins, I get really mad, because I'm like, that is so not an aerodynamic suit. The Green Ambler's head looks incredibly aerodynamic. Um, That said, I currently have a kitten. I'm on uh, day six with my new kitten, Buster, and um, he has made me realize just how fast tiny cats can be. Holy shit. Like, he will, we have to, um, 
I have to text my husband when I'm about to walk in the house because I'm like, you need to hold the cat back because he can get from the back of our house to the front door in like half a second. So I would bet on the cat, but um, it when I was a kid, yeah, always bet on the green ambler. Um, all right. So Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest slash Dragon Warrior, which do you prefer? It, you know what? Like, I, I have to say Final Fantasy just because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm such a... Uh, vocal fan of uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, oh, I've never played fourteen. It's the MMORPG. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, you know, it is a bit of a different kind of beast. Uh, but I've been playing that game consistently for uh, like seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's it's one of my favorite games of all time, uh, just mm-hmm. just in terms of everything that it offers and that I can do and, and have fun with. And, you know, I played a lot more Final Fantasy games than I played Dragon Quest games, although I do really like Dragon Quest, it just hasn't, it just hasn't kind of carried on the same way. Like I just I bounced off eleven, um, and I loved nine. Dragon Quest nine on the Nintendo DS was was uh, was excellent, um, but uh, you know eight was eight just made me feel sleepy like if that makes sense like i don't know like it's well, but eight was to me very visually stunning um because and i think it was ps2 as well and so you could really go crazy um with, but it was a lot of cut scenes a lot of exposition yeah it was yeah. it was a little dry but um i like i i like final fantasy for the gameplay and for for the stories and for the music um uh, uh, and also, and, and just an aside, just briefly uh, on on the subject of music. I, one of the things I do like about the difference between Final Fantasy music and Chrono Trigger music, Chrono Trigger, the the songs that stick with me and that I love the most were were always um, environmental versus the battle mm-hmm. music, whereas Final Fantasy was much more about the dramatic battle music kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. I just thought that was an interesting little kind of kind of separation. But I do love um, I do love Dragon Quests art style. I just like the cute monsters. <laughs> you know? All right. So, uh cast a Chrono Trigger movie. Who are your voice actors? First off, I didn't say I didn't specify this, but if the if whether or not you even want Chrono to have a voice is up to you, but yeah, who would you cast as some of the voice actors in a Chrono Trigger movie? And if you say Chris Pratt, this call ends. Chris Pratt. Yay! I wanted to I wanted to call your bluff and see if you'd actually turn it turn it off. Oh, I'm a huge coward. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, I don't know because, like, okay, so who are we casting? Are we just casting the main characters, or are we casting like everybody? Like, do I have to? Do I have to cast Yakra? You know? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I would even say like you don't even have to go with everyone in the battle in the battlefield, but or in in the team. Um, but yeah, just like who are a couple voices who come to mind for you? Uh, you know, I would like to get. I, I would like to get. Maybe some more uh, lesser-known folks or or things like that. Like obviously, you know, you always want that celebrity star power. But I, I've never, I've never thought about about these characters in in terms of uh, other people's voices. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a tough it's a tough one to answer. Um, but uh, like, I it would be interesting to cast a movie where the main character doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, I, we're, I would think if you do cast a voice for Chrono, he has to be young. That's I think that's the weird thing is like Chris Pratt, even though Mario is an adult because he has a mustache, 
like Chris Pratt just sounds too much like an adult for me, like because you think of Mario as a young, excitable guy with his wahoo. So like for Chrono Trigger, if you do give him a voice, it has to be like a Nancy Cartwright, Pamela Adlin kind of voice actor who like a woman who sounds like a young boy, you know? Yeah, so I would think I would go with you know, some of those professional VAs, especially the people who've who've done uh, done games. So like you want to get like Kath Susie in there, Jim Cummings mm. maybe. Um, he could do yeah. uh, some of the older, some of the old men, or like he could be like Taban or whatever, Luca's dad. Tom Kenny mm. I think would be fun to, to have as like some of the monster voices. Maybe he could do like a Zala or something. Yeah. Um, I would also, I'd also be interested. I just also just because I like Pro ZD so much, uh, Sung Won mm. Cho would be would be a good uh, Magus just because his King Dragon voice I think would fit really well. Yeah, for sure. I also think like he might make a good frog. Um, if you, I was, I was thinking, thinking that too. Yeah. I was um, thinking that too. Him or someone like maybe a Maurice Lamarche. Like Maurice Lamarche is your obvious guy, but um, and then I for like I mean. For someone like Luca, that's where you can get like a Tara Strong, like someone who does both female and male voices, or like a Grey Delisle who can do like the spunky voice. I I do not know who I would cast as a Marl because when I think of the best female voice actors, I always think of the ones who predominantly play men. Um, And then I was also thinking of like, you know, because I'm not completely against celebrities voice acting it like because I always think of exceptions. Like I think of something like King of the Hill, which cast mainly like stand-ups and actors, but it's that they weren't, it wasn't stunt casting. They were people that they picked because they're like, oh, you have a great voice. Like someone like a Johnny Hardwick or whatever. Not that I would put Johnny Hardwick, maybe I would put Johnny Hardwick in this game. Who knows? Um, so, uh, Or like Bojack Horseman. All that is to say, I am not against actors doing voices if they if they are very well suited for it um but like i'm i mean i'm sick of will arnett voicing everything anyway but i'm trying to think of like the way paul f tompkins um i think he provided a really great voice as kind of the everyman of that show with mr peanut butter i think paul f tompkins also would make a like if you're going with frog sounding a little bit more north american or um or even like kind of as one of the side characters because he has that very storyteller type voice. Um, but yeah, I would go more for the professional voice actors. Even someone like you want you want half your bad guys, Mark Hamill. Oh yeah, yeah, Mark Hamill yeah. would be good. Yeah. Now, uh, now um, I do have a question. I know this is the lightning round, but I mean, what mm-hmm. are we doing? Like, we're trying to turn this this game into a movie. It has a very linear plot, but like, what are what are we cutting? You know, to get because like. What has to? What are the story beats that you would keep, and what are the story beats that you might say we could probably skip over this if we need, uh, you know, for time? Uh, and and where do you, where do you end it? I mean, I was gonna say things like the like the race uh, in in the junkyard, but I mean, George Lucas proved that like. Uh, you know, now that's what I call pod racing, that you always want a pod racing scene. And who would be um, Johnny? Because Johnny's got to have, uh, Johnny's got to have a good voice. Oh, <laughs> like, man. Like, thanks for the intro, babe. <sighs> you know, I should have thought about that. I don't know. Man, he is kind of the best little one-off character, isn't he? Um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that if, like... People, besides the recent Mario movie, which apparently was very good, I have no interest in watching it, or, like, kids liked it, is that 
like I don't think people have much of an interest in trying to make video games into into movies anymore anyway. If they had tried this, it would have been probably in the late 90s. Um, and it would probably, considering the way we make action movies today, be a little artless anyway. Um, not... Not that video game movies in the 90s were like the pinnacle of quality. I mean, look at the fucking Mortal Kombat movies. Um, but I would say that the most important stuff, hmm, I would almost say you almost have to, you have to cut out a lot of the stuff in uh, the BC um era with like you don't cut out entirely because you need to bring Ayla into the story but I think you need to cut out a lot of those like that I do find that that's one of my least favorite parts like the game does kind of screech to a halt around there yeah I think so like maybe instead of instead of traveling back to 65 million BC after the Magus fight you just end up in 12,000 mm-hmm. uh, in the in the zeal kingdom and you could just skip over that entire um you could probably just skip over the entire humans versus reptites thing. Mm. Um, I So that that is a great segue to the next question, which is what is your favorite setting in the game? I love the Kingdom of Zeal so much, as weird as it is, and as spooky uh, once you get to Zeal Palace and that, that long just like string that plays when you first enter. But, mm. but just those floating islands. I am such a sucker for floating islands and, mm-hmm. you know... Um, civilizations in the sky you know um i i just i love it it's it's in tears of the kingdom the new zelda it was in skyward sword it's uh one of the reasons i love um uh, skies of arcadia so much uh and so that's just that's my favorite yeah, I like Zeal as well. It's very Blade Runner to me, but for me, my favorite is the Eris Dome. Um, and anything, like, because I love apocalyptic shit, right? Uh, and I love the idea of these people just kind of, like, these ratty people, like, just surviving off scraps. Um, they do a really good job with making it just seem incredibly unpleasant and, like, don't touch anything. Um, I think it um it makes really good use also of uh the set pieces the music um which also like you know not to bring everything back to the music of this game but like they use very different styles of music and that is uh to quote forgetting sarah marshall just the ominous tones section of the game um god it works so i love the dome um and finally which character do you identify with the most uh i identify the most with frog because i am a small <laughs> Uh, frogman who speaks <laughs> in, in ye old English. For me, I would say Luca because I just can't resist pretty, pretty girls. However, I'm actually like, it, not even in a funny way, I am really afraid of fire. Like, I don't even really like getting too close to a campfire so probably not good that uh she's a fire fire element i would say uh probably ayla um because you know like i am also attracted to strong people regardless of their gender and ayla's just also constantly horny and constantly talking about how horny she is (laughs) and i really am like ah and I, I also overshare, so I'm like, I guess I'm a bit of an Ayla. Um, I, I like the scene where you can bring her home to meet your mom, and she just immediately <laughs> criticizes her outfit. Yeah. Oh, God, Chrono's mom is a judgmental bee. Um, then again, it seems like Chrono's kind of freeloading. I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but he does just kind of sit around, like, you know, 
Um, and then bringing random people over. She doesn't even have her own bed. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's got the bed upstairs, and then she just has to live in the in the kitchen the whole time. Like, what does Chrono do for work? What does he put on his tax forms, you know? Swordsman. <laughs> so to conclude our thoughts on Chrono Trigger, we do need to determine a couple things. So um, now, in, in most of our other epi- uh, episodes, we've covered what doesn't age well in the body of it and then talked in the conclusion about what has aged well but are there any elements of Chrono Trigger that you think like haven't aged well and I'm not even talking about socially because this is one of the few topics we've talked about where nothing in this has particularly not aged well socially but in terms of innovation what do you think are some things that like would be unimpressive or uninspiring to someone picking it up for the first time today I mean it is you know um a much older title. I mean, it came out in the mid nineties. So it has, um, it it is a little slow in the sense of the kind of games that people are playing now. Um, Mm. and that people I think have gotten used to. So if, if you didn't, if you didn't play it when it was current or, or, or near current, like we did and developed that kind of connection to it, I mean, as much as there are, you know, uh, this trend of, of releasing games that are similar in that visual and, and gameplay style to modern audiences. I think those, like the, the games I mentioned before, like Octopath, I think those are mostly marketed to people like us, I, <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, not aged well. I mean, um, I just think there's, there's also... Um, there's also a lack of um, a lack of fast travel. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you do have you do get the the, the wings on the time machine at, at some point. You can fly at, at eventually, but for most of the game, you do have to walk everywhere. You know, yeah. and and so that does kind of slow things down a bit. It truly does. I kind of forgot about that, and that is the one regard in which I would prefer emulators because a lot of emulators do have a fast travel option. Um, so for me, I would say, again, as much as I like the story and it's really elegant, I think if I were coming into this new and into games and particularly already into RPGs, I would probably be like, oh boy, a time travel game. So what I do in one era affects what happens in the others, right? And then you realize that it actually doesn't. Like, there is very much a conclusion that the game wants you to go toward. And so, while I don't think that's necessarily bad, I think it's not quite as innovative as it markets itself to be. Um, And hey, I'm the queen of not everything needs to be super innovative. But when you consider what is out there right now in terms of the possibilities of all the different realities you can, like, because people love doing that with games. People love going really hard into, um, you know, finishing this game with all the different permutations possible. And so the fact that there are kind of limited conclusions, um, I think probably, I don't want to say it doesn't age well, but if you were to put this game out today, there would be that expectation, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the, the story beats to the story beats, and those are going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. And, and outside of, like, like you know, the, the few side quests at the very end of the game, and, you know, those black box treasure chests where if you open them in 600, they're gone in 1,000. But then if you go, if you open them in 1,000, you can go back into 600 to get a second version of that item. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, it's, it's, it doesn't change much overall because it is a very, it is a very as as much as you're hopping through time, a very linear, a very linear game. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so let's say you're settling in for a good like couch-locked physical media marathon. Maybe you play a couple hours at Chrono Triggers. What are some other pieces of media from this era that you think people should check out, whether it's movies, albums, TV shows? Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh... I'll offer up one to start as a <laughs> sure. starting off point. Get... If you're a fan of Chrono Trigger and you want to get into like 90s shit from this era, original Dragon Ball, for sure. That's a good choice. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to to link those things. I don't have the same kind of um, I don't have the same kind of uh, connection to like '90s TV or um, or movies as I as I do to to games. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I love a good '90s era Simpsons episode or two. So those <laughs> are always those are always welcome to uh, to be mentioned. Um. Yeah, so for 90s era, especially if you are into games in the 90s, um, Dragon Ball, here's one that there's not really a direct tie to it, but I still think it's important. Um, If you're, again, depending on what you've consumed prior to this, do you remember Uh Uh-Oh! The Game Show? This is a very Canadian thing. Yes, I do. Yes. Um, I would say, like, also watch some Uh Uh-Oh! The Game Show because that along with Chrono Trigger, like, is something that really brings me back to, like, being in the 90s, hanging out with my brother, playing video games. Another thing, um, now, if you're playing Chrono Trigger, you want to actually listen to uh, the music itself. You don't want to put another album on while you're listening to this. But afterward, um, and if you're looking for a um, for an album to listen to, I would recommend from the early to mid nineties, either um, seven, two, eight, two, six by tool or enema by tool. I'm not even a huge tool fan, but to me, those are kind of the albums of that era that if you're into gaming, particularly if you're into that really like moody storytelling gaming, I would go with some tool. I would recommend then in that case, um, a little bit of offspring, just because that was what I was listening to. Smash was the very first CD I ever owned. And I still Mm -hmm. can't believe my parents let me buy it. Um, I was just listening to self-esteem on my walk here, on my walk back home so after work. <laughs> Smash and Ixnay and the Ombre were were two albums that I really liked in in and around that time. So you know, if we want some music from then, sure, that those will work for sure. All right, so Ted, thank you for being us uh, with here, us with here. <laughs> Jesus yeah, you know. Christ, the well, edible has to, not hit yet. If but you it travel will back soon. in time and re-record yeah. that. <laughs> Well, now I have to keep it because that was a very brilliant uh, improv, Ted. Uh, But thank you for being here with us on this fourth episode of Tales from the Rec Room. So if you want again, once again, plug where we can find you and read your thoughts, now is the time. Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, for the time being, I'll be on Twitter, uh, Ted Friendly Guy. That's just kind of where I am. I can't leave that site because stupid things keep happening. And it's funny. (laughs) uh, But um, there's also terrible things on there that I try not to engage with too much. But uh, that's there. And uh, and I do local news journalism in Ottawa. So just uh, Google my name and you you can find uh, my work. For sure. And as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde. You can find me online at prune underscore underscore Tracy. Um, and you can follow this podcast at Rec Room Tales on Twitter. So new episodes come out every Thursday this summer. I went from being a bi-weekly podcast and saying, I can't handle this to being like, you know what, I'm going to do every single week because I want to have a breakdown. Uh, you can join us back in the Rec Room next week with our good friend, the fellow Ottawa-based Liz, as we talk about Miracle. So thank you for listening.
now you're a bi-weekly podcast. Hey!